This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Coming up, we've got all the news and views from Manchester City's week. It's your club and this is your show. So the quintuple dream is over and Manchester City will now have to simply settle for a quadruple at best this season. Defeat against Liverpool in last weekend's Community Shield has maybe made a few of us check our excitement for the new campaign. The performance was a little rusty and a big miss towards the end from Erling Haaland has perhaps underlined that he'll need some time to settle as well. So welcome to the second Blue Moon podcast this term as we prepare for the Premier League to get underway. It's West Ham away on Sunday. Last time it was a really tricky game that could have derailed the title challenge. So what will it be like this time. James Jones from We Are West Ham will be here to give us the insight into their preparations for the new campaign a bit later on. Plus, Howard Hocking will be back on the show too, as will our EDS expert Sean Blinkhorn. We'll be reflecting on some of the key youngsters from pre-season with a little bit of a focus on Rico Lewis. I'm David Mooney and for this one I'm joined by One Football's Dan Burke. Hello David, how are you doing? I'm not too bad, thanks. And uh, all the way from Portugal, City fan Laura Wolf. Laura, it sounds wonderful where you are. <laughs> Good morning, everyone. It's really beautiful, I have to tell you. It's definitely not like Manchester here today, that's for yeah. sure. <laughs> not jealous at all. It's the, it's one of our most international shows this, Dan, because you're in Berlin. So uh, there that's we go. That's right, and the weather's beautiful here as well. So, oh, yeah. we used to stop it. I'm, like it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's all right here, but like it's still like it's it's still Manchester. Um, right, let's start with uh, the Community Shield. Because because, uh, Laura, I guess the result and the, the performance was probably showed that City were a little bit behind Liverpool in terms of readiness for the season. Um, were you worried about anything in that game? Uh, not worried. I think if you remember last season, it was a similar story. I, I, I feel like, look, we've, we've learned over the past however many years that kind of Pep knows what he's doing. He's settling in a new squad, a new formation. Um, I'm not worried. I wasn't I wasn't surprised at all. Liverpool always seem to be readier, if that's even a word, for these things. And it's it is early, don't forget, because obviously everything's starting earlier because of the World Cup. So yeah. um I'm not worried. I think there's work to be done in terms of learning how to play in a new a slightly new way. Um but yeah, I think listen, I think we'll be okay. It's it's too early to tell, I think. Yeah. Uh, Dan, were you were you surprised by City's overall performance or was it about where you expected? I was a little bit because I was one of the people who stayed up to watch the Bayern Munich game the week before. And I thought, if anything, they looked a bit sharper in that game. And I thought, oh, wow, they're looking really ready for the season. They're looking really good. And I felt I felt pretty confident going into the Liverpool game that we were going to gonna win because they, they'd lost the friendly against Salzburg a few days before. And I thought, yeah, maybe, maybe we're in better shape going into this one. But I think it was Liverpool's fifth pre-season game and only our third. And I think you could tell in the, in the early stages, City... Definitely with the sort of slug, more sluggish of the two teams to start with. I thought we grew into the game, ended the first half in the ascendancy, started the second half pretty well and then got the equaliser. And then I thought, oh, we'll, we'll go on to win the game from here. And from that point, I think it was uh, it was anyone's game. And it was only the fact that we, we conceded a pretty unfortunate penalty that meant that Liverpool got the noses back in front and then went on to win the game. But yeah, it, it wasn't a great performance. I thought I thought Kevin De Bruyne had a bit of a stinker, which he's, uh, he's allowed to, to do from time to time. But I think, I think that was pretty key to... The City not really getting going. Some of his passing was was poor, and there was a few chances to sort of make a bit of a break that he that he messed up really. So, yeah, I'm not too worried. I think uh, we'll, we'll see a sharper City going into the game at the weekend, and, and hopefully they get a better result. Yeah, I'm I'm happy you both said that because I was one of that was start already starting to panic a little bit because uh, things were going a bit uh, a bit off the rails. <laughs> but uh, you you both calmed me down a little bit there. Um, uh, Laura, obviously the focus was on Erling Haaland having, uh, well, everybody wanted yeah. to see what he could do. Um, some people have taken great delight in those misses uh, that, that he, he made in the game, uh, especially the second one. Um, uh, you, what, what do you make of it? What, what are your thoughts on all of that? Everyone always, everyone always takes delight in that. This isn't the first time it happened. We know with this team and with this with this manager that it takes them time to settle in it takes them time to find their feet and you know I mean it could he might not even come good for the first half of the season even the first season we know this happens and then something will happen and he'll just settle in I'm not at all concerned about it I think we need to give him a break I know you know it's a big signing for us and I know that we've not had a striker 
for, for the whole of last season. So we're learning how to play like this. He's learning how to fit in. He's look, any however big you are and however, you know, however huge you are in the game, you're still nervous and anxious. And I think he'll be just fine. I'm not reading anything into it at all, other than he's just settling in. He's just, you know, he's a, he, I, I think we need to give him time and and people are always going to delight in that. We know that. Yeah, I thought his overall performance was um, was interesting, Dan, because he was he, like you, you've got to be there to miss those chances, and it's it's been a while since City have had someone there. Yeah, I, th- I thought if anything, probably the most disappointing um, missed chance was the one that he hit straight at Adrian in the in the first half, and then he he gets another one quite quickly and made a bit of a mess of that. But you know that can happen, and it, like you say, it's good that he's getting in those positions. The one at the end was annoying just because you knew instantly that like Twitter was going to be a, a frenzy of of Schadenfreude, <laughs> didn't you? As soon as that happened, I mean, we, we've got to accept the fact that the narrative of the whole season is going to be Haaland versus Darwin Nunez. Who's going to do better, isn't it? It's, that's that's just the way th- these things are, and the fact that Nunez scored. And Harlan missed that chance. You just think, oh God, it's going to be like this every week, isn't it? But yeah, I have no concerns about him at all. I think, like Laura said, it's going to take a bit of time for us to adjust to to having that that central striker and and knowing when to play the passes, knowing when to play the right crosses. Eventually, they will work it out. It, it might happen quite quickly. It might might take a few weeks, but. I have no doubt that Haaland's going to be a fantastic player for us and score score a boatload of goals. And uh, let's hope it, it starts pretty soon. Yeah, that chance you mentioned, Dan, as well, the, the one you were disappointed that he hit straight on Adrian. Um, is that the one that he absolutely bullied Robertson for? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So like, like he's, he's already showing there, like, get me in those positions. And, you know, even even the best defenders in the league, you're going to struggle to keep me off the ball. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he's he's a he's a tank, isn't he? And uh, if, uh, just before we started recording, actually, Jack Gordon saw a piece in the, um, the the mail today where he said apparently Haaland has grown since he signed for City. The, the, <laughs> Is that the, the medical staff, the medical staff were astonished to learn that he's he's already grow. He's he's still growing, basically. Yeah. Wow, it's, it seems almost impossible because he must be what six foot eight already. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's tricky. Get be, be nearly your height soon, Dan. Um, yeah. Yeah, uh, Laura. The the thing that Dan's saying there about City learning to to play with him, it, I, I thought that was obvious a couple of times where there was a couple of moments De Bruyne could have played that pass in behind and didn't. Yeah. And, I, and I'm just wondering if if that's the kind of if that's what City need to learn how to do with the striker. Not not nothing about around the box. It's just knowing when to release him. Yeah, it's a completely new way. We've not had this. I, I mean, I felt personally that some of the crosses into the box were just poor, really poor. Like we, you know, I I remember last season I used to be like, we can't walk it in because obviously we we did a lot of like walking it in because we didn't have that that person there in the in the centre. Um, I think some of the crosses into the box need a lot of work, and I and I. It, it, it's going to take time. Don't forget, we've won like two titles now in, in succession in this way. Um, and look, and, and what, I just want to add to what you said about De Bruyne. De Bruyne, I think, if I remember rightly, started really poorly last season as well. He's, you know, he's, he's allowed. I think he's going to be learning where he needs to place the ball, where when he needs to release the ball, where he, you know, where everyone is. It's, it is a different way, and it's actually not Pep's style, is it? So it's yeah. going to be interesting to see what happens. I think. Yeah, um, Dan. I mean, the, the other thing to remember is Haaland has now played 130 minutes with City. That's nothing. Yeah, yeah, and he he had injury problems last season for Dortmund and ended the season playing for them, but he didn't look great, he didn't look too sharp when I saw him play for Dortmund towards the end of last season. So, yeah, I think it's going to take a little bit of time, but I think what we saw in that Bayern Munich game, you know, Grealish crossing to Haaland, Haaland finishing in the middle, like we're going to see a lot of that this season and that that's the kind of thing that uh, the team we're going to get used to, those kind of those kind of actions eventually and uh yeah, like I say, I think he'll, I think he'll score loads of goals. There's nothing to worry about at all. Um, we've just got to be a little bit patient with him. I think. Yeah, must admit, I chickened out of the change after the Bayern Munich game. I uh, I, I I thought Grealish to Haaland might be the one uh, this season, and so I, I swapped my fancy league team to put Grealish in there and take De Bruyne out. And then I, I slept <laughs> on it. And then the next morning was like, you can't take De Bruyne out, you fancy league team. I'm sorry. So I, I I've yeah. chickened out with it and gone back with De Bruyne Haaland. So uh, so there we go. Wise move, I think. Yeah. yeah. Um, Laura, I want to talk about Edison, uh, which is a bit of an odd uh, thing to say after um, after a game like we saw on. Uh, on Saturday and it is only one game granted but I thought he looked really good especially after the criticism that he had last season yeah I know he was he did have a lot of criticism last season I thought he looked good I thought I thought he made a good save I know there was a whole debate about penalty not penalty um I'm a big Edison fan I have um, a little 11 year old goalkeeper who absolutely loves him who's his absolute hero understandable Um, yep 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, and watches every save and every, every move and everything. And I think um, we've nothing to worry about, Edison. I think we just need to, you know, the, the people who were calling him out last season, we still won the title. He still made some great goals and I still feel really safe when he's around the ball. Um, I think, you know, I'm, as I say, a massive fan and I don't, I don't get this. And as I say, I don't think it was a, a penalty. Yeah, it, it, well, I, it absolutely wasn't. I, I found it really odd on on the TV coverage here, Dan. Uh, Karen Carney was adamant that if it wasn't offside, it was a penalty. And I was like, if honestly, if that was me and I'd given that penalty away, I, I'd be writing a letter to somebody. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah, it was. It reminded me a bit of the uh, the Arsenal away game last season, where there was one angle where it looked like a penalty, and then another angle where it, it wasn't a penalty, where you could see that he got the ball. And for some reason, people just decided to stick with the one angle that, that sort of suited their <laughs> argument, really. So yeah, um, yeah, I can't remember the exact circumstances. Was it offside that one? Yeah, it was offside. I, th- I, yeah. think, I think it was Nunez um, flagged offside. That's right. And then yeah. he tries to go yeah. round Edison, and, and Edison just—I mean—he gets a full hand on the ball. It's brilliant goalkeeping. Yeah, yeah, he, he did look pretty sharp, Edison. There was a couple of uh, nice catches he made in the in the in the first half as well. Um, so yeah, hopefully that's a, that's a sign of things to come from him, and we see uh, we see Edison moving up to the next level after a slightly concerning season last year. I don't think it was overly concerned. I don't think he's a big problem for City, but you would like to see a little bit more from him in, in terms of shot stopping and, and command of his area. But uh, you know, his kicking is still world class, isn't it? We're always going to get that from him. Yeah. Um, while we're on penalty decisions, Laura, um, could could Diaz have done anything different in that handball decision? Oh gosh, I I mean, we watched lots of different angles, obviously as we all did. I don't think he could. I mean, was that? It, this is the whole thing about handball. It's so ridiculous. It's like I know there's like this rule of this, that, and the other, and what it is in unnatural positions or whatever. Was that an unnatural position? I don't know what. Where would he was he supposed <laughs> to have his hands behind his back at that point when he? I don't understand that. This is the thing. And I think sometimes they, they, they give it and sometimes they don't give it. And it's not clear. Um, I don't think he could. I don't think it was an unnatural position. Whereas my other half was watching it with me. He's like, absolutely. But then he's a United fan. So, he's going to say that, <laughs> so, so but, but I don't know. I mean, you know, two of us said not. One of us said yes. So I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, the law itself, Dan, says, it's Law 12, Fouls and Misconduct. It says, uh, a player is considered to have made their body unnaturally bigger when the position of their hand or arm is not a consequence of or justifiable by the player's body movement for that specific situation. By having their hand or arm in such a position, the player takes a risk of their hand or arm being hit by the ball and being penalised. Um, I don't really know what that means. <laughs> yeah, that's a um, word salad and a half. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, but what I'm taking from that is that you're allowed to move your hands when you jump. And I kind of think that I mean I mean I'm in this in this position where I, I don't really think Diaz can jump in any other way but equally I don't think we can't not be giving penalties for, for that if that had happened at the other end I'd have been fuming if they had, yeah. had looked at that, it and, and not given true. it that's true yeah, I, I thought it was a penalty, to be honest. I, th- I think it's just a bit of an unfortunate one that you, that you see quite often. And I, I think the problem with these decisions is not so much whether it's a handball or not, it's whether the kind of punishment fits the crime, whether a player, the, the ball accidentally hitting a player's arm like that is should be punished by a free shot, a goal from 12 yards. I've often wondered whether the rule needs to change and maybe we need to think of bringing indirect free kicks into play in that situation or something like that. I think that would just open another can of worms, to be honest, and make things even more complicated. So I think you just have to take it on the chin sometimes and say like, yeah, it was unfortunate, but it's a penalty. You know, we, we've had a couple of those go our way in the past, you know, that uh, against Wolves at home last season, for example. So yeah, it, it was annoying because I think, I think it took the wind out of city sales when they were, then when they were, they were sort of getting on top and looking like they were the, the most likely team to go in and win the game. But that's just football. It happens sometimes. Yeah. It's momentum, isn't it? We, we learned about that last yeah. season, quite, <laughs> quite a lot in that Madrid mm. game. Um, Laura, how about Joel Matip though, heading onto his own hand? Uh, because I, I was surprised that that never got a never got a review. The only thing I can think of the reason why it wouldn't is because the ball didn't go out of play, and City then went on to score before it did. Um, but still, I'd, I'd like I'd have thought it went into neutral zones in the pitch. You can stop the game to review things. Yeah, but th- but but they they choose when they will and won't. I mean, did he did the ref see? Did they see that? Did he see that? I don't that's know. The- that's that's the, that's another question. I don't know. That's the question. So I guess, and look, and, and as you say, we went on to score. So I, don't, I mean, you know, it becomes largely, you know, irrelevant in a way. But I, he had he headed the ball onto his hand again. I mean, I would say that's not is that a natural? I don't know. He didn't do that on purpose. It's 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 the same thing with this. I just like like you both say. I think the rules 
just I mean that that just is double dutch to me that whole thing he <laughs> didn't, didn't make himself bigger he didn't have his hand in a natural position so therefore it wouldn't be a penalty would it yeah, I don't know, but uh, but again, like he's he, he has he has clearly headed the ball onto his own hand, and we saw from Laporte last season, Dan, in in that Madrid game, um, heading it onto your own hand doesn't it's not a it, it's not um a, a, you, it doesn't cancel the the handball action anymore. It used to, it doesn't anymore because Laporte was penalised yeah. for that. Yeah, I still, well, I still haven't seen a clear angle of this Matic one, really. I think it did look like he, he held it onto his own hand, but it wasn't shown as a replay on TV or anything, was it? Um, I think it would have been interesting if, if Foden had been offside, um, the, whether that would have uh, whether it would have been pulled back and a penalty given to City. You kind of wonder whether maybe it was a different phase of play or something and therefore they couldn't make a decision. You know, it's so confusing, this this sort of VAR stuff and the, where, where the lines are drawn sometimes. Um you just you just don't really know what the decision is going to be a lot of the time when when something like that happens. But yeah, I, w- I was appealing for a penalty at the time, but I think the fact that City scored kind of made it redundant, didn't it? Yeah. Um, let's finish on the Liverpool game with uh, Julian Alvarez, Laura, because uh, he he's an exciting one, isn't he? Yeah, I'm, I I think he's super exciting. Look, I think um, I think he, him working with Foden is going to be really exciting. I think I, I will imagine they're going to well hope they're going to be our kind of first choice. Um, he definitely wants it. He was in the right positions. He added to the to the play. Um, I think he's going to have a huge impact. I I think he's going to bring um, something something new, something different. And and he's you know he's he's got pace. He's got. I was excited watching him play. Really excited. You see stats pop up all the time about clubs and players, and you want to know that exact thing about City. There's an answer. Statcity.co.uk. Want to find out all of the players who played alongside club legends like David Silva, Sergio Aguero or Vincent Company? Or maybe you'd like to know which team found it hardest to score past Joe Hart. You can find out City's record in every competition, at every stadium, and under every manager, just go to statscity.co.uk and browse away. That's statscity.co.uk. Dan, what uh, what was different? Do you think when um, why why was Foden and, and and Alvarez working a lot better than Grealish and Mares? Because Grealish and Mares have been good in in the last well, Grealish especially in pre-season, but Mares towards the end of last season as well. Yeah, I think um well it's it's a difference between inverted wingers and, and non inverted wingers, isn't it really? You saw um we know what Grealish and, and Maras want to do when they get the ball. They want to come inside and, and that works sometimes. I don't think it was working too well against Liverpool's fullbacks in this game. So I think it was the right decision for Pep to bring them off. And then suddenly you add a bit of pace in those wide areas, players who can go around the outside and, and whip crosses in and, and that kind of thing. And, and it and it changes the game for City and it, it brought an interesting dynamic to the play. I think um, that looks to me like it's Alvarez's best position at the moment. I saw him, he came off the bench against Bayern Munich in that friendly and played down the middle. And I know he can definitely play there and I'm, I'm sure he will play play there in future but I think uh, for the time being as he as he's sort of adapting to English football playing him out wide might be might be the best where it's perhaps a little less physical and uh, and he's not going to get bullied off the ball so much and, and kind of swamped by central defenders so yeah that's an interesting um, aspect to to the summer signings I think that we've got a player who can play in those two roles and it should hopefully make uh, the the departure of uh, of Jesus and, and Sterling a little bit easier to to take and uh, yeah I'm interested to see what what Alvarez could do I've got really high hopes for him but I think even more so than with Haaland we're going to have to be patient with him yeah. Uh, right, well, we saw a few of the EDS players make an impact during pre-season as well. It's been a bit of a shorter pre-season than normal, so our opportunities to see them may have been a bit more scarce than in previous years. I've been speaking to our EDS expert, Sean Blinkhorn, to get his thoughts on how it went. Another year and, and we're sat here talking about the winners of pre-season. I think when it comes to the the young kids, there's been, there's been many in the past, haven't they? But, but Josh definitely fit into that role quite well this year, I thought. There's, a, there's, there's lots of things that can be said for Josh. He's a very, very talented young lad, but he doesn't have struggle with injuries. He's had quite a few in the last few years, let's say, and uh, you, you wonder at this point how it's affected his development up to this stage. Yeah, I mean, Guardiola was talking about that after the Bayern Munich game. Uh, the audio isn't great on this, but this is from his press conference after the second pre-season game. He was asked about uh, Wilson Esbrand. This is what he said. The problem with Josh, uh, yesterday I said, or these days I said, is the uh, last two years was injured most of the time in terms of uh, have a problem in the knee and the muscular and he could not but we believe has a, has a potential because it's 
is so is, is aggressive enough to win the duels and with the ball is so so clever he's so clever the guy who has a good one against one he doesn't he doesn't feel the pressure with the ball and today with the example how much our back forward press and didn't lose much balls and yeah uh, he made he, he did a really really good game I think if we can control him avoid him his injuries we can have a, a fullback for for many years. Yeah, so uh, quite quite difficult to hear, but I mean, it's a, it's an interesting uh, thing for Guardiola to say that if they can control the injuries, then they've got a fullback. There it sounded like somebody was on a typewriter there, Jimmy. Yeah, <laughs> sorry uh, about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I I picked out that as a quote as well. The managing the injuries, I thought that was very very uh, revealing from Guardiola. And to, to give to give a little bit of context of, of like you know. Uh, following the academy seasons and what and and what's been happening a couple of years ago he was he was appointed captain of the under 18s in his second year i think he played three or four games and was just injured for the entire year at the end he ceremonially came out in his tracksuit and lifted the trophy for the, for that league but he played a very small part in that yeah. um and it, it's it's more or less been like that since he joined when since he joined from west ham as a scholar uh, it's, it's unlucky or, you know, it's uh, the fox is down to his body breaking down. I don't know. Who knows? But it's something that, like Guardiola says, they're going to have to manage because there is a player in there. He's, he's very good. And Lord knows we're crying out for left backs. So uh, let's hope they find a solution to that. We talk all, all the time. We talk about uh, potential in these kids in, you know, technically. And we never we never talk about the other side of that. What, you know, he might be talented, but you know, what if the uh, the personal side of uh, of life gets in the way for him, or what if injuries gets in the way? We seem to very rarely think about that. I know we try and stick to the positive with with youth players, but with Josh, like I say, he's uh, he's talented enough to play, but it's all about those injuries. Yeah, I mean the the other the other aspect of this is, I mean, obviously City are still in negotiations with Brighton over Kukurea. We don't know if that's going to happen or not. Um, the noises we're hearing at the moment is that it might not. It, like it feels like there could be an opportunity for a young left back there if he can stay fit. Yeah, I think uh, as I was on the driving on my way home, as uh, just before we started to record, I think uh, Chelsea are in late dis- late discussions with Kukurea. It, it, it seems so. There may be another one we miss out on, and there is a squad spot for a younger player, uh, which. Again, we've spoken about a lot over the years that you know it never seems to come around that uh, somebody will be parachuted in. Okay, we need you. You're good enough. Just play. Um, he's always found a way around it with you know the right the right backs playing at left back and what have you. So mm, I just hope for his own sake that he can stave off the injuries and whether it's with us or with somebody else, turn it into a career because he's a very good young player. I'd love to, I'd love it to be with us. I'd love for Pep to give him the chance and for him to uh, to stay healthy. Yeah, um, let's touch on that uh, that idea that there's there's maybe not been as many opportunities as we would hope for the younger players because mm. um, I, I mean another preseason's been and gone. Normally preseason we get to we get to see a few of them. Um, there's there's not really been that much impact for a lot of uh, a lot of young players. And like in in the last few years, you know, City have needed every point going. So mm. you can you can kind of understand Guardiola's reluctance to to try players out in certain times. Yeah, I do get it. I, I, towards the end of the season, you can feel the urge to, you know, to go for the experienced heads as well. You, it, like we we feel it ourselves, not just the manager. Um, suddenly, the clamour for playing the kids completely evaporates, doesn't it? And, and I, I feel exactly the same. Um, but I mean, that towards the end of last season, the stars never aligned. That uh, I was able to come back on and talk a little bit about how the season ended for the academy, but you know it. it Glistening with silverware, I wasn't it? Both, you know, won both leagues, won the Premier League two, won the under 18s league. Great on the surface, but I, I can't help feeling a little negative about, in particular, the Premier League two season, because out of the sorry, so the season before last, out of the fifteen players that played ten games or more in that season, that Premier League two winning season, the season after, eight of them played ten, not ten or more again. And to me, it seems like, what's the point? It's great to win back-to-back, but for that many of them to play again, James McAtee, what did he really gain from 23 appearances, 18 goals in a developmental league that he'd already won the yeah. year before? To me, it just doesn't make much sense. Um, the, the academy's making headlines at the moment for the fees that it's generating for players, which is great, but I can't help sitting thinking there's got to be more to 
mortal mortal life than that like there's got to be a point where we i know you know it's not just phil Foden being one in a million there's got to be some other opportunities there and i think a lot of these players are capable it, it, it was unfortunate with cole palmer i really liked what they were doing with cole you know he was getting lots of opportunities he started a premier league game which is blows my mind yeah it's almost under, unheard of under Guardiola, under manager, <laughs> yeah which is unreal and but then he would go back and he play premier league two games just to just to play a game really um but then obviously the injury hit and that that was completely curtailed it's uh it's mortifying for me that he didn't um he fell one appearance short of getting a Premier League medal. Cole Palmer, I was gutted. Yeah, so I mean, to the point that even the one of those lads that's played in both of those seasons, Shea Charles, he's gone full Ryan McGiven this this summer and played for Northern Ireland before he ever played for City. So I'm I'm, I'm torn because Guardiola always goes on about getting the uh, the Premier League two side into the league, but at the same time, you know, he wants to protect and look after these players, and you know, it's all about not giving them too much, too young and too much football and what have you. I mean, how, how on earth would they deal with a 42-game League One season if that was the case? But that's by the by. Um, I'd just like to see a bit more integ- integration. Uh, that, would, that would scratch the itch, I think, on that front. Yeah. Um, finally, let's touch on Rico Lewis because um, it's always nice, isn't it, when you pick a name out of a, out of uh, the players you've been watching, and then they do something. And you, uh, you, you yeah. if you go back to episode thirty-one of last season, you quite <laughs> clearly pick out Rico Lewis as one to watch, and then he goes on the tour. Yes, yeah, so he was the only second year. So the year after they signed the scholar, he was the only second year on that tour. Uh, he was the youngest player there. And while playing games in pre-season is no guarantee of anything, is it? Especially under the manager, bits. he was great, and it was it was an encouraging sign to see him there. Like you say, uh, we spoke about him a few times last year. The reason I picked him out, not <laughs> technically a very very good player. I spoke about it a million times in the past. One thing I didn't touch on as much as I wanted to is the bravery he shows. He's he captains most sides. That he plays for so pretty much every you know youth uh from what i could tell all the way up to to where he is now and he's one of those players who just seems to get booted into the air despite being a right back you know most of the game quite a small stature but really strong and ridiculously agile uh and quick and brave and he'll go you know he'll get stuck in he'll throw himself into things and he'll win free kicks out of nowhere um, and, and like I said, I've, I've mentioned before, he seems to have all the qualities that Guardiola desires in attacking full-backs. He, he does you know, play on both sides and you can play football. Like I say, it, on top of what, what we were alluding to before, on top of technical ability and things that I like to see when, when, you, you, know, when, you, when you watch footballers play, he seems to have the right attitude and he seems to have you know, the mental side of the game locked down. Um, Again, development and growing, you don't know what's going to happen from here on in. But at the moment, Rico is a very exciting player who, despite his young age, looks you know, looks like he's played at a senior level for, for years and years and years. And he will not be afraid to get stuck in. So if there's a case that maybe the other left-backs are not faring too well, I this Rico is a great player. I'd, I'd be very seriously considering him for that first team spot, even as early as this. Please give us your backing. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. That was Sean Blinkhorn, our EDS expert, uh, talking about the youngsters at City. Now, uh, time to look ahead to the game with West Ham. Um, uh, You've both said it, that uh, you're expecting a different game than uh, than eight days ago in the Community Shield. Uh, Dan, what are you expecting to be different about this? <laughs> well, yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm hoping that just an extra week on the training ground uh, will will sharpen them up a little bit. They'll they'll make a better start to the game. Uh, De Bruyne will will bring his own boots this time and and uh, you know put them on the right feet. That would that would be a good start. Um, not to slack him off or anything because obviously he's a wonderful player, but he was he was frustrating me against uh, against Liverpool. And and the good thing about him is that you don't tend to see two games like that in a row from him. So I think he'll be he'll be fired up. And I think. A result like that uh, last weekend, it it does have a tendency to kind of sharpen the mind. Sometimes, you, you know, you could have we could have won that game and, and maybe gone into um, the new season feeling almost a little bit complacent, a little bit too relaxed, and maybe now they'll be a bit more fired up and say, "Come on, we need to improve on this now. We we need to get a result." I'm not really too worried about 
whether we win or lose at West Ham, you know, as we saw last season, we lost the first game of the season and, and that turned out all right. So I do think a bit of uh, a bit too much weight is put on early season results at times. And uh, and we, we we tend to panic a little bit if things aren't going brilliantly straight away. I think it's going to take him a few weeks to get up to speed. But yeah, I'd like to think the result last weekend will fire them up a little bit. And also the, the result uh, at the back end of last season at West Ham will kind of make them know what to expect from this game and, and know that they have to be on the game, you know, played at a really high level and uh, and hopefully they get a result. Yeah, I was going to say, Laura, you're, you're a little bit nervous about this one, given how hard it was last season. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think, listen, David Moyes, what he's done there is pretty impressive. And we it was close. You know, it was very close last season. We won we won both games. Um, you know, I think I, 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 I would be nervous if we didn't win the first game. I'm different to that. I don't, I want to start off well. I think it gives us a lot of confidence. I know, listen, I wouldn't panic, but I just know that it would, we need a bit of a, like we always say momentum. It's all about momentum and it would just be a good, you know, to put a marker up there and say, yeah, we, you know, we're starting off well. I think there'll be some changes from the weekend. I think things will, things will have been learned as you say another week on the training grounds and we're kind of practicing some of those getting the ball into the box and 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 working with Harland again I think well as you know I mean I think I've already given my score prediction which I won't share at this point but I think um I think we'll win it yeah, I think the, the the interesting thing will be, won't it, Laura? If if, if it if you know twelve fifteen minutes in that sort of range, that sort of range, City take the lead and it's Haaland, then suddenly it puts an entirely different perspective on everything of the last week, doesn't it? Yeah, it, it's football. It's like it's literally you're as good as your last game, your last shot. You're, you know, people absolutely, and it'll be forgotten. The, the Community Shield look like we say if we'd have won the Community Shield, it wouldn't have meant anything, and if someone else wins it, it's the first trophy of the season. So. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, Dan. Um, if it is a tough game, and maybe City don't get the result that 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 we want, um, there is a lesson to be to be taught, isn't there? In in last season, losing against Leicester, losing against Spurs, still going on. Actually, I mean, City didn't win the league comfortably, but they were in control of it for a long time last season. Yeah, I mean, I think you've seen the pattern with City over the years under Pep when we uh, we tend to have a good run around sort of. November, December time. That's when we when we really hit our stride. Um, During the World Cup this year, is <laughs> that there's a World Cup? Yeah, and I, th- I think that is going to throw everything off kilter this year. I think it's going to affect uh, everybody in the league. I think it's going to affect the the overall points totals. I think you know players are going to be needing rest, needing uh, time to recover from injuries in the second half of the season. And that could change matters. So I don't think it's one of those where we have to fight tooth and nail for every point this season. I could see it being a lower points total at the end of the season than it was was last season. You know, maybe somewhere in the eighties instead. So we we can probably afford to drop points at various stages and, and still go on to win the league. And you know, I think it's going to be difficult in in terms of maybe. It might be more than a two-horse race next season. Like I know we say this every year, but it feels maybe that like the likes of Spurs, Arsenal, um, you know, it, even United and Chelsea might even ha- have a say in the title race next season as well. So I think, yeah, I, I'm not gonna. I, I want us to win at, at the weekend. Don't get me wrong, and, and I won't be happy if we lose. But I'm not going to be, uh, you know, throwing my toys out the pram or, or losing my head too early in the season. I think it's just one of them that we've got to kind of take each game as it comes and, and just just see how things develop in the in the first few weeks and then after the World Cup we uh we see how see what shape we're in after that. Yeah. I'm, I must admit your your theory of um it doesn't really matter if we drop that many points is not a theory I'd like to test, but yeah let's let's see how it goes. Let's get a West Ham preview on this game because I've been speaking to James Jones from We Are West Ham to find out how their summer and pre-season has gone. I mean, we've made four signings so far. Obviously, we've got Gianluca Scamacca through the door, the, the the striker that we so desperately needed to help Antonio out up front. So we've got we've got one more striker than we have than we did for the last two or three seasons, uh, which is good. Uh, and we've got Aguered in uh, defensively who is injured, so he's going to miss the first couple of months of the season. He's had ankle surgery, but. Uh, other than that, it, it's pretty much as is. Obviously, Flint Downs coming from Swansea to provide cover, replacing Mark Noble in midfield as cover in midfield. But other than that, it, it's pretty much the same. Um, a couple of first-team players have gone. We're expecting a couple more to leave. And we're expecting a couple more incomings before the end of the window. So no drastic changes, just strengthening where we've needed to strengthen. Yeah. How have you, how have you looked in pre-season? Um, <laughs> really underwhelming, if I'm honest. Um you know, we we lost to Rangers three 0 Um, we've only won two of the seven games that we played. 
Um, I know, and I'm, I'm not one for for looking at preseason and using that as a as a gauge on how well you're doing the season because yeah. it's not about results and more about fitness and tactics. But it has been relatively underwhelming, for, even from a fitness point of view. Um, I think you know not being able to add more players to the squad at this stage of the summer with a week to go, less than a week to go before the season starts, has probably been a bit of a problem for David Moyes. He's not really been able to um, put a lot of his his ideas and his, his thoughts into practice properly because some of the players he's using, he doesn't really intend to be using that deep into the season, if you know what I mean. So um, fitness-wise, hasn't been great either. We, you know, we, four or five of our first-team players came back late in pre-season because of uh, international duty in June. Um, so I don't think we're we're 100% ready. Uh, it doesn't seem that way anyway. And I think there's still question marks over the system that David Moyes wants to, wants to go with. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you mentioned Mark Noble before as well. Um, he obviously has now retired. Uh, what's what's life in the in the post-Mark Noble era like? <laughs> um, weird, actually. It's it, We're just so used to seeing his face around, you know, all the time. He, even, you know, pre-season, he's always one of the first... First in in the summer, and you know the, the club always banging on about you know he's welcoming in the new signings and stuff. But uh, Declan Rice is, is replacing him as captain, um, which is a good thing. It means we should be selling him this summer, barring um, a disaster um, from our part. But uh, it has been weird not having him about. I'm sure it's been the same inside the club uh, as opposed to just fans looking from the outside in. Um, but we have replaced him with Flynn Downs, who I said, who is a lifelong West Ham fan himself. Um, in his interview when he signed, he said he literally he's literally like a dream come true. Like he's he's waiting to wake up in the morning and realise it was all a dream. Like he is as big a West Ham fan as Mark Noble was. Um, so we've kind of gone like for like in that respect. But um, you can't replace his leadership skills, Mark Noble. So it'd be interesting to see how the team get on without him in and around them. Yeah, I was going to say about Declan Rice as well. It's probably the only thing that that, that gets him away from West Ham now is, a, is an offer that you just can't turn down. So you'd think that mm. at least if if that comes in, it would be huge money, wouldn't it? Yeah, I mean, you're looking. I don't think the club would accept accept anything under, under 150 million, and that sounds ridiculous. But you know, to to us, he's worth that because he's so important. Um, and now he's club captain. That adds a little bit of value to him um, from our side. So um, we've got him for another year. I'm convinced of that. We've got him for another season. And it then depends on what we can achieve this season, which would determine whether we can keep him for much longer after that. Yeah. Um, let's turn attention to uh, the game on uh, Sunday. What, uh, how, how are you expecting West Ham to approach this? Because you give us a really, really tough game at the end of last season. And, and I mean, if, if truth be told, City got away with one. Yeah. I, 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 like I said with the pre-season, no, I don't think David Moyes has been able to really nail down the approach that he wants to go with. There's been a lot of rumours about him going, going with five at the back this season. Um, he did it a few times last season with mixed results. Um, I think a lot of that might be forced into the fact that we've still got so many defensive injuries. So I said Agued's out for a few months. Um, Dawson's got a few niggling injuries. There's rumours about Zuma picking up a, a little injury. Um, and Ogbonna's only just come back from an ACL injury. Um, so he might be forced into playing um, Deccan Rice in the back, at the back uh, and Diop. Um, so I think it'll be... Very, pretty similar, I think, given the injuries that we've got in defence to the, the the approach that you saw uh, when you visited on the stadium last season. Um, and it will be a very similar style of play, I would have thought as well. So I think David Moyes would have seen, particularly from the Community Shield, that City don't look 100% fit. They don't look 100% up for it. Um, and I think he might try and exploit that one way or another. Yeah, I was going to say if you you said West Ham feel a little undercooked for the season, I think City are in a very similar boat. Obviously, mm. there's been another week since since then. Um, how do you see this one playing out? I think it'll be tight. I think one thing that David Moyes has done to us over the last couple of years, and I think I've spoken to this spoken to you about this in the past, is that he's really he's made us a lot more difficult to beat against the bigger teams. Uh, we, we we rarely get rolled over and sod still I'll say that and it'll be another five minutes to City <laughs> this weekend but we rarely get rolled over anymore we, we rarely you know we don't get thrashed as, as much as we used to when it comes to the likes of City and Liverpool and, and the like uh, and I think it will be tight I think you know with, with a full a full stadium fans are excited and there's a lot of expectation around the club at the moment given what we achieved last year particularly in Europe um, and I think I think it will be tough. I think it will be, will be. I'm going for a draw two two again, um, and I think that will be a very good result, probably for both sides, given how underwhelming preseason has been for both sides. 
Yeah, we'll uh, we'll stick two two on the charity bet for you a bit later on in the Do show. Um, what what are you what are you expecting for the seasons um, to kind of build on last season? What are your hopes for uh, for this season? Well, like I said, there's there's expectation now amongst the fan base, which is a strange feeling to have, given you know we normally go into a season worrying whether we're going to be in a relegation battle or not. And for the last two years, we've we finished in the top seven, got to European semi final, and there's a, there's a real feeling that okay, well now. Let's push on again. Let's try it again. We're in the, the Conference League this season. So that's a competition that we should be looking at and, and going, well, why can't we get to at least the semi-final again? Um, and I, I think, really, if we can add the players that we need to add bef- between now and the end of August, then a top eight finish uh, and a good cup run in Europe, again, I think will be the expectation. Um, anything less than that, and I think there'll be a level of disappointment because um, David Moyes has got us to a level now where I think we're we're good enough to consistently compete in the top eight of the Premier League and be contenders to, to you know to to upset the top six a little bit. Yeah. Um, in terms of this game on uh, on Sunday, what uh, there's there's obviously the players that City know about. I mean, Antonio always causes City problems, and you know Bowen ran riot last season. Is there mm. anybody else that's that that we should keep an eye on? Well, I think I mean we, we've not made that many. Sort of game-changing signings, other than Skamaka. I don't think Skamaka will start. I think he'd be a player that will come off the bench. He, he didn't feature in our final preseason game against Lons on on Saturday, um, but he's six foot five, I think, um, and widely regarded in, in Italy as is like the next big thing in Italy. Um, Roberto Mancini's already told him that you know you're, you're going to be my number nine in, uh, in the national team for many years to come. Um, so he's he's one to really look out for, and I think. With Laporte out at City, I think he might he might cause cause some issues um, in the air for for City's defence if he gets enough minutes, if he gets enough chances. I know obviously Diaz is Diaz loves a battle, but um, I think he's one to look for if he gets twenty minutes um, and and West Ham is still in the game or, it, or it's level, then he might be one to watch as being a bit of a bit of a problem for City defensively and, and, and airily set pieces. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Facebook.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. That was James Jones uh, talking to me about West Ham. I mean, Dan, it'll be interesting to see how City set up against a team that are sitting deep because the the, the, the difference between Liverpool and West Ham is that like, we expect West Ham won't play with that high line that Liverpool did. So it'd be interesting for, for how City go about trying to get in behind, won't it? Yeah, I mean, we saw in the, in the game... Last season at West Ham, that um, having having the the sort of inverted wingers Grealish and, and Mares coming inside that caused a bit of havoc, um, you know, especially in the second half when we when we were two 0 down. Uh, I'd like to think we won't be two 0 down on this occasion and, and yeah, let's not grow, do that grow bit, into yeah. the game a little bit more. <laughs> yeah, and and it will be interesting to see whether whether Foden starts this game. You know, having not started the Community Shield, having having missed preseason for for reasons that uh, you know are pretty pretty well known now. Um, whether he is ready to start the first game of the Premier League season or whether Pep will go with Grealish and Mahrez again and have those inverted wingers creating chances. I mean, one thing that we do have this year is, is the Harlem presence in the middle whereby we can we can put balls into the box and, and theoretically he can he can bring them down or get his head on it, you know, bring other players into play. Um, that's that's another element that we didn't have last season when we didn't have that focal point. So, um, you know, I, I would be equally happy to see Mahrez and Grealish starting on the flanks as I would be if it was if it was Foden or, or, or uh, Alvarez and... And like we saw at the weekend, we've got the ability to change things if things aren't quite, aren't quite working out. But I think West Ham, it's going to be it's going to be a difficult game as well because they're they're a really good side as we saw at times last season. Um, you know, I, I don't think the uh, the high line is going to be quite as quite as badly exposed as it was against uh, them last season. But they've got uh, Gianluca Scamacca, their new signing, who who looks pretty good. Who's going to be a bit of a handful for our defence. So um, I'd be pretty wary about breaking them down and also stopping them from scoring. Um, yeah. at the other end but yeah I think you know we've we've got reasons to be confident going into the game of course Dan you mentioned De Bruyne before um, when we're talking about Liverpool and uh, the number of times where Haaland made a run to get in behind Liverpool and, and De Bruyne didn't play it or he carried it a bit more mm. I'm, I'm wondering if that run in behind West Ham might not be on if they're not as high up so I, I wonder if, if Haaland's presence in the box might be more crucial in this one yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah. It might be a case of a case of lofting a few more balls into the box and and having him try to win win headers and win aerial duels and that kind of thing. Um, I don't think there's going to be much much space in behind them to play that ball and uh, maybe 
I mean, we're more used to playing against a, a low block than we are a high line, aren't we? So, if anything, that should be it should be a bit of a you know a, an easier task for us in that way, and that we've we've worked out how to do that many times. Whereas, as you saw against Liverpool, they're not quite used to having a player making those runs in behind, and, and De Bruyne wasn't quite that that uh, that partnership hasn't quite blossomed yet. So, yeah, I think um, I think City will will find a way to, to break West Ham down eventually, but um, I think they will probably find a way to break us down as well. Yeah. Um, Laura, just looking at City's defence, um, obviously Diaz and Ake are likely going to be the pairing given uh, Stones missed a lot of pre-season and, uh, and Laporte's still injured. Um, both of them are great. I, th- I, I, I really like both of them at City. But maybe they're not the greatest partnership that City have at, at centre-back. Do you know what I mean? I, know, I totally do. And I think, look, there obviously there were some mistakes made at the weekend. I think we're clearly missing. Uh, Stones didn't go on pre-season today. And and, I, and obviously Laporte is, is injured. Um, I think we'll miss them. And I think once they're back, once, you know, I think once once Laporte's back and Stones back, I mean, I think they're far stronger for me anyway. Um, don't get me wrong. I'm a, I am a big fan of Diaz. And I think he played he's, he's played some brilliant games for us. But together, there were some errors. Um, they, you know, they, keeping possession is difficult for them when they're being pressed, I think, at times. Um, and it'll be interesting to see because I think that will happen in this game. So I'm not 100% confident about where we are right now. Yeah. Um, it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, I wonder if uh, if both of them need to. This 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 might sound really offensive to them as a, as, as footballers, but I wonder if both of them need to be the more subordinate partner in a in a partnership. Does that, <laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> Um, listen, I mean, yes, I guess it doesn't come naturally to them, but I, but that's part of how they've got to learn to play together, right? I guess, and and I, and I think that you know, they, one of them, like you say, needs to be probably less aggressive and 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 take from the other one, but we shall see. Yeah. Uh, right, well, no success on last week's charity bet, the first one of the season, so let's try and change that for this week. William Hill is giving each of the guests a £10 correct score single. The winnings are going to the Man City Fans Food Bank Support Group, who are helping the Trussell Trust feed those in food poverty in Greater Manchester. Um, we heard uh, earlier on that James Jones from We Are West Ham has gone for a 2-2 draw, uh, same as last season. That would be 18-1 to and £180 if he's right. Uh, Dan, what are you having for this one? I'm going to go for 3-1 City. 3-1 City is 10-1 to 1 and £100 if you're right. Laura, you've uh, you've teased us already by uh, saying that you think City will win. What's your score? I'm now anxious about this, but I, I was going for 2-0. Two 2-0 nil. Two nil is 6-1 uh, to one and £60 if you're right. Remember, you've got to be 18 or over to gamble. Prices can change and please gamble responsibly. For more on gambling responsibly, you can have a look at begambleaware.org. Now time to hear from Howard Hocking. He's back this season and he's here to talk about City's no-win transfer policy and the joyous alternative of women's football. Ah, a new season arrives and the stomach begins to churn. Another nine months of nonsense awaits and that's apart from the Winter World Cup with the cherry on the cake being Darwin Nunes versus Erling Haaland poised to be the most tedious narrative in football history and it hasn't even begun for proper yet. Hold on to your hats. As per usual the summer has been relaxing but also an opportunity for some Blues to move close to total breakdown over transfer activity. It was ever thus. As always be happy when we hit the magical 40 point target next season and hope for a good cup run. The lack of a proper left back at City remains one of the modern world's great mysteries like the appeal of Mrs Brown's boys. Yellow cars, Marmite, Olives or the reverence when you'll never walk alone is piped through Anfield's public address system pre-match. City did some great business early in the transfer window which only served to make the rest of the window more stressful as we had big exits which are rare and less excitement to keep us going with exciting possible arrivals. It was hard to knock City getting Haaland and Alvarez for less than one Maguire so naturally wages and commissions were added to the mix. I think we all know by now that there is no transfer activity that City can carry out that is not subject to a negative slant, and that includes players we don't even buy. I found some of the coverage over the proposed and perhaps now dead links to Cucurella wearily predictable, however, as best shown by Ed Malion of The Athletic. I shall read his tweet that he put out the other day verbatim. Commend Brighton for their stance here, that's of not budging on price, have been very clear all summer it's £50 million or no deal. Players signed a five-year contract, can't have it both ways. The incredulity of big clubs when poorer sides don't roll over is quite something. 
Indeed, the incredulity is quite something in as much as you fabricated its existence. And while City fans can be world beaters in paranoia, as we all know, City's pursuit of Brighton's left-back proved how sometimes a club cannot win. Now, don't get me wrong, my personal opinion, which counts for little, if anything, is that City have not played this well. City not paying over what they consider the odds has worked out fine in the past, with dodged some bullets as well, and is generally a commendable stance as a club tries to rid itself of the image of a loads of money club that will pay whatever it takes to get a player and are there to be fleeced. We leave that sort of thing for the other team across the city. But on this occasion, it just doesn't sit comfortably with me when you place the interest in Cucurella in conjunction with all the other transfer business of the summer, perhaps year. With all the money that has come in, just pay it. We're still the net spend kings, and I never thought we'd sing that. And why take this much time to get to walking away anyway? But then, there are reports that Brighton want more than £50 million for their player, so perhaps City could see where this was going and wisely walked away. After all, I really wanted Cucurella, but to be honest, before the links emerged, was he the name on anyone's lips? Not many, I'd wager. There are plenty of other options out there. But then, of course, there have been plenty of options for years. And for now, instead, we stumble on ill-prepared for a new season. We know proper left-backs at the club and may or may not sign a secondary target in the future, probably for £50 million. I'm a huge supporter of Cheeky and Co, but sometimes I worry they make Pep manage without a striker or a left-back for a year or four, just to truly test him. But anyway, back to that tweet, the one from five minutes ago. Sorry. It's classic football journo speaking that a strawman argument is created so that the journalist can debunk it. The incredulity of big clubs expecting small clubs to roll over is totally a figment of Ed's overactive imagination, as I've never seen any evidence of this. There is a football food chain, of course. Across football, all clubs punch down to buy players, and it's all done without any incredulity at all. So this is how it plays out. City have a value in mind for Target and will not go beyond that. Selling club rate him higher, as is their right, and City walk away and get panned for it. If City had paid the money demanded, they would have also been panned for spending so much on a full-back with one good year in the Premier League behind him. So basically, the only way they win is never targeting a player in the first place. That way, he's not unsettled. Now Chelsea will no doubt buy him to little, if any, criticism. They're all out to get us. After all, remember the outrage when City paid a similar amount for Carl Walker? How did that turn out? Or £32 million or whatever it was for a goalkeeper? Or £60 million for a defensive midfielder? And so on. I just wish there was some manual out there that the football fraternity could issue instructing City how to act in a morally correct manner when it comes to transfer business. But never mind, if Saturday's defeat in a glorified friendly and a quite hysterical fallout reminded us of the long... Nine months that lie ahead, along with all the stressful transfer talk that did that for us too. After all, God help us if City dare not win at West Ham at the weekend. Then Sunday saw a timely reminder of the beauty of football, the emotions it can create and the inspiration it will provide without the downsides, and has in the past of course. Reminded us of why we do what we do, and perhaps the reminder came from an unexpected source. The timing was perfect before the brutal tribalism restarts in earnest. I'm talking about England's Yoho victory, of course. Now, comparing it with the men's game is pointless for me, but I'm straying into that territory anyway, because I am weak. We don't need articles on what the men's game could learn from women's football like we occasionally get with rugby, but it's still wonderful to have this alternative where nothing that happens in matches or off the pitch seems to be the end of the world, where children can definitely go to a match without any fear of an unedifying experience. It was a palate cleanser, it was joyous, but above all it was important and iconic. The women's game was already on the up, but the consequences of the tournament and England winning it will be felt for generation and beyond. Girls will want to play football more than ever now, and more to the point be allowed to. Not to be banned from doing so, as was the case for 50 years, or be ridiculed and told to play handball instead. And how nice to have a story that not only upsets every gammon and misogynist around, every one of whom missed out on a historic occasion, as they no doubt didn't watch a single minute of it. But how nice also to have a truly wonderful story in football, again with no downside, not one. It's a decade now since the Olympics in London, and it's nice to feel that swell of pride again. It's been a while. Above all, I wanted that England victory for all the individuals involved, not for me. Their lives will be transformed, for the better I hope. They've got one hell of a story to tell. And hopefully, I'll have many more to tell in the future as well. 
It was an escape. No angst over left backs, no pitiful banter with the fan base, for whom it just means more. No sodding mentions of net spend. I have too much stress from men's football and a relationship built up over 40 years to be able to truly follow the women's game. I never feel half or even a quarter of what I feel about City's men's team. But then I never expected to feel a quarter of what I felt last Sunday from women's football. And hey, if they can make Sweet Caroline palatable, then the world really is their oyster. Hi, it's Nicky Weaver, and you're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. That was Howard Hock in there. Uh, we're going to finish with uh, some listener questions, so get them sent in for next week on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. You can also email us through the website. Just fill in the form on bluemoonpodcast.com. That's what Mike Weymouth has done. He starts us off by saying, uh, what could the men's game learn from how successful the women's Euros have been this summer, especially when it comes to atmosphere at matches? Um, now, Laura, I must admit, I've only been to uh, one of the women's Euros games this year, um, but I, I was at the Academy Stadium at City. It was uh, Italy versus Belgium, and the atmosphere—I've mm-hmm. got to—I've got to say—was fantastic. Yeah, it is I think it, there's there's a lot um, of discussion about this because the thing is, when you go to a women's game, you don't sit in sections; you can sit kind of wherever you like, um, and. Um, it, the, I'm talking about in, in general season, you know, part of the general season. And yeah. there's actually a kind of faction of, of kind of women supporters that kind of want a bit of that, want to kind of sit separately. Um, the Euros have obviously been incredible and they've changed everything for women's football. It's things we've known for a long, long time um, that, that, the, the, the on the pitch stuff has has changed beyond recognition the players are incredible athletes and some of the matches I don't know if you watched as much as I did were just incredible to watch and that final um on Sunday was pretty special and there were tears I have to say yeah his um, same as well so don't worry about that <laughs> yeah 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 and 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 you know and the change the change that has has been kind of threatening to come for some time is coming. I think uh, people, it's so less aggressive. I mean, I don't know if you saw some of the kind of comparisons to the the, the men's final at Wembley to the women's final and some of the pictures and some of the way thing, fans behaved. Um, it's a, it's totally a family game. It's totally open to everyone. It's totally inclusive. And people are there to have a good time and just celebrate football and whether, you know, celebrate both teams. It's not the same kind of um, feeling of when you go to a men's game and this aggression that you often see with fans. Uh, and I, I mean, I just celebrate that. I just think it's so exciting. I mean, I don't know if you know, but there's the uh, the England uh, USA game that's planned for October is basically you couldn't get on to, to the the site yesterday to get tickets. It was like you were waiting, people were waiting for 12 hours to try and get tickets. This is the change it's making. I think there's 13,000 tickets sold for the Arsenal uh, Spurs derby game. The City United derby has moved to the Etihad. This is kind of how things are going and it's really exciting. And I just, you know, I hope it continues in this, this vein. It's just, you know, it, it's it's another level. Yeah, Dan. I mean, the the interesting thing from uh, the Euros, as as Laura's been talking about, there is is the atmospheres have felt. It's it's exactly right. The atmospheres have felt less aggressive, and I, I kind mm. of wonder if it's time now to accept that um, we can't. Like certainly for the men's game, we can't use football as an excuse to have this sort of slanging match at each other. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Laura nailed it there. I think the, the 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 whole culture around women's football is a lot less toxic than men's football and I think we could learn a lot from that I, I do think there is a there is a kind of visceral nature to go into a football stadium you know when the atmosphere is kind of fever pitched that I wouldn't want to lose that completely I do think it wouldn't be quite the same sport without that and uh, but I do think we need to t- tone it down a lot I think I think alcohol plays a big part sometimes I think w- what, I think they banned uh, alcohol from Wembley Way this year, didn't they, uh, for the final? And you know, you saw the behaviour of some fans at the at the Euros final last year and how how different it was. And you know, I like a drink at the football as much as anybody, but I think people could be uh, could be very silly with it sometimes, unfortunately. And uh, and and you know, there, there were other substances that come into play sometimes as well yeah. that, that change people's behaviour. So yeah, I think uh, it's been a great summer um, of football, a, a really good month. You know, a really great advert for the women's game if it needed one. And like Laura said, I hope I hope it's uh, it's a bit of a watershed moment for women's football, and it, and it really takes off from here. And I, and I hope that a lot of uh, fans who who predominantly follow the male game have looked at 
at the way it's gone and think and, and kind of thought about how we behave at football matches and, and maybe we need to tone it down a little bit. But just to add to that, you know, it comes from the players too. If you see how the players behave and how, you know, how they are on the pitch and off the pitch. Having said that, I don't know if you saw the, the moment with Jill Scott, she completely lost it at one <laughs> point. <laughs> That's had some nice memes come, but, and I love Jill, she's fantastic. You know, they, it's the same passion, don't get me wrong, but then they, they come off the pitch and it is a completely different thing. Um, and, and you know, the excitement of them at the end when... I know the men celebrate, but actually, if you notice, the men were celebrating with, there was alcohol, there was a lot of alcohol, you know, and I'm not saying the women hadn't had a lot of alcohol, but I just think it, it was a whole different thing. It's just a whole different thing coming off the pitch. Yeah. Um, Dan, I do want to finish on uh, the women's game with uh, a quick question to you, because uh, obviously you you were supporting the England team. Your girlfriend is German. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How did that go down? <laughs> she, she didn't speak to me for the rest of the evening, so uh, we're, we're, on, we're, on, we're on talking terms again now, thankfully. But yeah, she wasn't happy. Good, good. Well, I, I'm glad everything uh, is smoothed out. I mean, I'm not used to losing, you see. No, it's, 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 it's our first. They've won loads. It's our first. So let's, yeah. let's uh, you know, let's, uh, let, let, let's share it around. Um, <laughs> final question for this week comes from Charlie on Twitter, and uh, he says, if City do walk away from negotiations with Brighton and won't pay the money that they want for Kukurea, have they shot themselves in the foot? Should they have sold Zinchenko before sorting out a new left-back? Can Josh Wilson-Esbrand fill in where necessary? Does having a right-footed Cancelo behind a right-footed Grealish cause issues? Um, so plenty of questions to get stuck into there, Dan. Uh, it seems, mm-hmm. as we record at the moment, it seems um, that City are out of the negotiations. Chelsea, uh, at the latest, is that they're uh, happy to pay more than the £50 million that Brighton have been asking for. Um, what do you make of the situation? A, a, a City... A City having a bit of a problem here I think so yeah I mean I mean the story that's come out today is that Chelsea are, are gonna are gonna sign Kukurea or or they've made an offer for Kukurea which is more than 50 million so I think it was assumed that that City uh if they pay 50 million they get the player and that was it it was it was as simple as that whereas now it maybe suggests that maybe it's not as simple as that and maybe Brighton want even more money than that and maybe City's valuation of him just you know it was it was just too high and you know I, I do kind of broadly respect the club's attempts to not be taken for a ride when it comes to transfer fees. I think it's kind of shutting the door after the horse has bolted, though. I think we've, we're way past that point now. And, you know, everybody knows that City, City are very wealthy, um, especially this summer when they've made a lot from player sales. And, and you know, the money is there to, to sign this player who who they do need, not necessarily Kukurea, but they need a left-footed left-back for sure. Um, and, a, and it's a little bit puzzling that they didn't just kind of pay the money to get this done. But then, like I said, who knows whether that, that what the actual valuation is I don't think they should have let Zinchenko go before um, sorting a new left back out, having one lined up. But with these things, there's often a lot of moving parts, and it's not quite as simple as that. And you know, maybe the deal was was too good to turn down for Zinchenko. Really, I think we got a we got a decent fee for him, and and maybe they thought, all right, let's let's let him go, and we'll we'll sort something out. And I'm I'm pretty confident they will sort something out. You know, there's still a whole month of the transfer window left. I think they'll they'll get someone. You know, this Sergio Gomez has, has emerged as a target in the past couple of days. I don't know if he's going to be the main target or or a player that they bring in and then then buy another left back. We'll see. Um, I was impressed with Wilson Esbrand against uh, Bayern Munich, and I, I would be happy to see him given give it a chance. But I don't know if he is the solution. Should Walker or or Cancelo get injured? That's a, a lot of pressure to put on a, a young player's shoulders with with not very much an experience, not much experience. And I think having um, having right footed Cancelo behind Grealish isn't an issue so much. Um, but it would be nice to have a different option. You know, we, we've missed we've we've not had that left back who can go down the outside and get crosses in. You know, for a long time, um, you know, even even with Benjamin Mendy, you know, he was injured a lot. Um, so it's 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 been long overdue this signing. I, I really, really think they need to get it done. I really think we need to have a, a fallback option should Walker or Cancelo get injured, which is inevitable, and the opportunity to give them a rest as well and a different option uh, when we're when we're when we're putting a team out, basically. So yeah, I really hope they get 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 this transfer done. Um, it doesn't look like it's going to be Kukure. I don't really know who else it's going to be, but. It's it's a bit of a confusing situation, really. Yeah, Laura. The uh, I mean, the, the the two things I guess to remember is that one, Foden can play wide left and can stretch the play on that side, and two, Cancelo has <laughs> been pretty good. Like Cancelo from left back has been pretty good. Yeah, I agree. I still I do agree though that we shouldn't have Sultanchenko until we had it, we had it sorted. Having said that, like like 
you know, dancers. I guess there's there's lots of stuff going on in the background that we don't know about. Um, yeah, I mean, I think Foden can. I mean, for me, Foden can play pretty much anywhere. So. <laughs> <laughs> left back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it wasn't wrong. Yeah. Really, he's played left back before. He did it once against Shakhtar. It'd be fine. <laughs> yeah, just 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 put him in. We'll be fine. Um, yeah, I mean, look, as we know, Walker does get injured, so it is a problem. And let's just hope that he's not injured until they've sorted out this issue in the next few weeks. But like you say, who who are the options? That's the major issue. Who is out there and who's available to fill the spot? So. Let's see. I don't know. Fabian Delph is a free agent, by the way. <laughs> yeah, let's let's not. <laughs> That'll be a blast from the past. Yeah. It's, uh, it's it's not 2017 anymore, Dan. It's uh, it's it's, it's uh, we're not chasing that anymore. Yeah. Uh, that brings us to an end for this week's Blue Moon podcast. Thank you very much to my guests for this week's show, Dan Burke. Always a pleasure. And Laura Wolf. Thank you very much for having me. I'm going back to the pool. Enjoy. Uh, don't forget our <laughs> Patreon bonus show started again this week. The first of this season was an episode of The Games That Made Me with Richard Burns making his five picks. That's available now for everyone who supports the show on any of the tiers at patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. Here's a little clip. Ipswich had a lot to play for. They were still chasing Europe at that point, And I believe they had their own little catchy version of Blue Moon that was along the lines of you started singing too soon. Now you're going back down and Europe's coming to town. That's something that um, I can't remember if I read that on like a the paper the next day or something or on a, a match report. Um, but it wasn't just like I'd always been used to City being quite well liked. Yeah. And now there was an opponent who was like reveling in in my misery, um, and this is this remains, um, and it's it really the reason that it makes it in. Uh, this remains the only football game that I've ever cried over because I was twelve, going on thirteen, I think. And I, like at first, I was just shocked and didn't really know what to say. And I remember walking to the the top of the stairs, um, and just before I sort of turned to go into my bedroom, just burst into tears. I was I was just <laughs> absolutely absolutely heartbroken it was awful i didn't want to go to school the next day um i just i just wanted it to not be real that was a clip of this week's patreon bonus show you can hear the full thing now by signing up at patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast you'll get a new episode every week for your money and it all goes towards supporting the show as well we'll be back next week to review whatever happens against west ham so i'll see you then